I have been thinking this past week about 40 years ago or so becoming a believer in Jesus Christ and what that experience was like for me and uh, what my impressions of Christianity, of religion, were leading up to that point. And as I was thinking back, remembering those early years of my life, I realized that the sum total of the spiritual formation in my life up until the time I was 17 years old and accepted Christ as my Savior was contained in one Hollywood movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston playing Moses. That was literally the only thing I was taught about the Bible. And of course, if you watch the Ten Commandments, you're probably going to be left with the impression that religion is about rules and regulations, a.k.a. the Ten Commandments, right? Well, that left that impression on me. I was convinced at the time that I encountered Jesus that God was all about the cosmic killjoy of Thou shalt nots and thou shalts, the rules and the regulations. And the Bible has, in addition to the Ten Commandments, it has all kinds of lists of rules, doesn't it? There's that whole Leviticus book full of rules and regulations. Even in the New Testament, there are what they call vice and virtue lists. Isn't that a nice name? Vice and virtue lists. And then about a year or so after I got saved as a 17-year-old, I took a membership class in the Church of the Nazarene. Many of you are members in the Church of the Nazarene. You probably remember, especially those that are as old as I am or older, that I, I was introduced in that membership class to the general and special rules of the Church of the Nazarene. General rules. You remember them? The special rules in the Church of the Nazarene. In the midst of all the rules and regulations, thou shalts and thou shalt nots. The point is often missed, though, that our relationship with God does not begin with rules and regulations. It begins with grace. Really? That's as much response as that elicited? (laughs) It doesn't begin with rules and regulations. It begins with grace. You guys stayed up too late last night, didn't you? Need more coffee. So turn with me to 2 Peter, down there near the end of of the New Testament, the second letter that Peter wrote to the scattered churches of Jesus Christ, and I want to pick up on one of the most glorious passages that I have ever read that emphasizes the grace, the power of the grace of God, and what that grace accomplishes. Second Peter, not first, but Second Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Second Peter 1, 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in 
abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. A small nuclear device should have gone off in your brain and your heart just now having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Uh, Let's read that one more time. It's too good to go by so fast. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us, say it with me, everything. (laughs) Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Let me just emphasize a couple words and phrases and thoughts in that in that short passage. The grace and peace and faith that God lavishes on us abundantly. Grace, peace, faith. There is not even a hint of rules and regulations is the in there with that, right? Right? He gives us everything we need for a godly life. (laughs) No shortage. No empty space on the aisles in the store of God's mercy and grace and power. He gives us everything we need for a godly life. He gives us great and precious promises. And how... How well does God keep his promises on a scale of one to ten? Yeah, a thousand. (laughs) And this is the one that blows my mind. We may participate in the divine nature. What is the nature of God? Bring a few words to mind to try to capture what the nature of God is. And we get to participate in that nature. We get to be filled with the Holy Spirit of all of those qualities 
so that we can participate in the divine nature, which sets us free from the corruption of the world and our evil desires. You have experienced at least a little bit of that being set free, haven't you? Please, please, please tell me that you have. set free from the corruption of the world and our own evil desires. So God initiates the process of setting us free and inviting us into this life of godly holiness. No rules and regulations, just an abundant outpouring of God's grace. That's how it starts. Those are God's great and precious promises. Athanasius, one of the early church fathers, said, God became what we are to make us what he is. Doesn't that warm the cockles of your heart? In John 10.10, Jesus was teaching about being the good shepherd, and he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or abundantly or whatever translation you grew up with. Jesus didn't come to give half measures. Jesus came that we may have his life abundantly. So our relationship with God does not begin with rules and regulations. And as Paul was writing the letter to the Galatian churches, the primary thing that he was focusing on there were the Judaizers, the Jewish believers in Christ who thought that for the Gentiles to become Christians, they first had to obey the law. They first had to obey all the rules and regulations. They had to go back and start where all the Jews had started, right? But God doesn't begin with rules and regulations. God doesn't begin with the law and the rules and regulations of Leviticus. He begins with his great and precious promises of transforming grace. Did all of you start there? Did you start with grace or did you start by becoming a good doobie, by obeying all the rules and regulations? Raise your hand if you started with grace. I mean, raise this, raise this high. Raise your hand if you started by obeying all the rules and regulations. Okay, there's a few. Okay. Grace is where God begins in our lives. Now, while it is the case that salvation begins with grace, in the New Testament there are still these pesky vice and virtue lists, aren't they? They're all over the place in Paul's letters and the letters of other people. Vice and virtue lists. So there is a role that obedience has to play in the holy-making work that God is doing in our lives. But unfortunately, we usually get it reversed. We start by thinking we can earn our way into heaven by being a good doobie instead of saying, Lord, your grace or nothing. So let's continue. We'll find one of these vice and virtue or one of these virtue lists. We'll continue on in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. For this very reason, because of all that grace stuff, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Oh, there's going to be some hard work here, isn't there? 
Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. And we'll come back to that word self-control. And to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, which is a fancy way of saying brotherly love. And to mutual affection love, the word agape that describes the kind of love that God has for us. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Make every effort. This passage, beginning with verse 5 there, is called sometimes called Peter's Ladder of Virtues, rung after rung, climbing higher and higher toward love. Begins here with, make every effort to add to your faith. The truth of the matter is that we're saved by grace, but we're not saved from ever being tempted, right? Temptations will continue to assail us. And so the importance of this make every effort to add to your faith is to prepare us to be able to walk in the Spirit, to be able to keep hold of Jesus' hand as we are on this journey full of hardship, full of difficulties, full of temptations. If we are strengthened by the Holy Spirit... If we make every effort to add these things to our faith, then we are going to see more and more of God's nature, that divine nature, become part of our nature. God is in the process of transforming our sinful human nature into his divine nature. The ladder of virtue is Peter's version of the things that we need to be paying attention to. One of Paul's versions is the one that we've been paying attention to for the last couple months in Galatians chapter 5. It's the acts of the flesh, that's the vice list, and the fruit of the spirit, that's the virtue list. We've been paying attention word after word of the fruit of the spirit. Uh, let me give you an analogy. Salvation is like getting your driver's license. Right, Evelyn? Salvation is like getting your driver's license. You are now free to move around the country. But as we're moving around the country, we are going to encounter places that we've never driven before. And some of those places are going to have dangerous curves and low bridges and those sorts of things. And so the vice and virtue lists are like the roadside caution signs. God is providing us with caution signs saying, look out for these things. These are dangerous things. These are things that will suck you back into that evil, uh, sinful human nature. 
These are places that you want to go because these are going to strengthen you and they're going to make you more and more like Christ. So he has these vice and virtue lists that serve as road signs for us. Because God has given us free will. We can drive wherever we want to, right? We have free will. Which means every day we're going to have the opportunity to drive in the wrong neighborhoods. We're going to have the opportunity to drive into the beautiful over, overlooks on, on the Blue Ridge Parkway or the Kankamangas Highway. We're going to have opportunities to do both of those things. And it's going to be up to us which ones we choose. And so we're given these vice and virtue lists to give us a heads up. Be careful. Look out. Pay attention. Beware. We are not driven by fear in order to obey God's will and his commands, but instead we are to make every effort because we love and appreciate what God has done for us, right? If I give you something extraordinarily wonderful and beautiful, and you really appreciate that gift, you're probably not going to become my friend because you're afraid of me. You're going to become my deeper friend because you appreciate the gift that I gave you. You appreciate and love the person more because of the sacrifices they have made for you, the gifts that they have given for you, the help that they have given you, right? So we don't obey God out of fear. We obey God out of love. We don't make every effort because it's a duty, it's an obligation. We make every effort to add to our faith because we appreciate and love God, right? Sometimes those things get mixed up in our minds, but I'm just reminding you, this is the way it is. We serve God, we follow God, we sacrifice for God because we love him, not because we're afraid of him. Which brings us to Paul's final fruit of the, the, the Spirit. In Paul's list in Galatians chapter 5, it begins with love and ends with self-control. Self-control, the culmination of Paul's lists of the fruit of the Spirit, it's the central part of Peter's ladder of virtue. But the self-control literally means strength or power within. Strength or power within. Plato called it self-mastery, mastering yourself. He said, the person who has mastered his desires has self-control. The person who has mastered his love of pleasure has the virtue of self-control. Self-control is the opposite of self-indulgence. Self-indulgence makes no distinction between what's good and bad. It just does it all. The person with self-control makes choices between good and bad and brings their indulgences under God's control. Paul depicts self-control as an athlete disciplining his body so they can run the race and win the prize. An example of self-control is seen in the emperor who never lets his private interests influence the government of his people. Adam and Eve failed their test of self-control because they just didn't have any, right? 
the first temptation to take something that God had told them not to do, and they, they fell for it. On the other hand, there's young Joseph who wins his test by running away from Potiphar's wife, not because he was a coward, but because he was committed to purity. He mastered that temptation. So there's a role that we play in participating in the divine nature. We make every effort to add to our faith, to bring our passions under God's control. That's the work that we have to do, aided by the Holy Spirit. But we don't make every effort for the purpose of becoming models of self-righteousness up on some pedestal, do we? Why do you want to become a more holy person? It's not because we want to show off to other people. See how holy I am? Let me testify to how good I've been this week. Break my arm, patting my own back. That's not why we make every effort. We might think that the objective of a personal holiness that we can put on display is, uh, is, is what it's all about when we're talking about holiness, but we would be wrong. Paul does not speak of self-control as a virtue to be pursued for its own sake. Peter speaks of these virtues keeping us from being ineffective and unproductive in our relationship with Jesus. Self-control is necessary in order to carry out one's great commission. Please don't mention, uh, don't miss this. Self-control is necessary in order to carry out our commission. In other words, the purpose of God's holy-making work, his sanctifying work, his saving and sanctifying work in our life, the purpose of that, the end result of that is servanthood. The purpose of God's sanctifying work in our life is servanthood. Oh, pastor, please say it isn't so. <laughs> Sacrificing my indulgent wishes for somebody else's good, please say it isn't so. Jesus said it was so. As I mentioned earlier, he said he did not come to be served, if ever somebody deserved to be served, it was Jesus, right? But he said, that's not why I have come. I have come instead to serve you. And how did he do that? By dying on a cross. And then he said, neither did you come to be served. He says, don't be like those others who lord it over. They're in a position of power, and they lord it over. You know, they you know, squeeze all they can from everybody so that they, enjoy the, the, they can live the most enjoyable. No, he says, that's not what you came for. Don't be like that. You be a servant of everyone that you know. Self-control provides strength within for servanthood. And you, I, I want you to write this one down if you've got a pen or a pencil handy. Self-control is the self controlled to serve. 
Self-control is the self controlled in order to serve. William Barclay, I I enjoy reading his commentaries on the New Testament. He writes, self-control is the virtue which makes a person so master of themselves that they are fit to be the servant of others. Isn't that a great definition? Self-control is the virtue which makes a person so master of themselves that they are fit to be the servant of others. Do we have that on a PowerPoint slide? The virtue which makes a person so master of themselves that they are fit to be the servant of others. This brings me uh, full circle. I mentioned first hearing about the general and special rules of the Church of the Nazarene. And at the time, as a 17-year-old, I saw them just as that. Those were rules and regulations. I've told you I'm a strong-willed child. And the reason I wanted to have nothing to do with God because he was going to have all kinds of ways of saying, no, you can't do this and you can't do that, and I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. And then I become a member of the Church of the Nazarene and find out that there's another list of things that I'm not allowed to do. Things that I'm going to have to obey if I want to be a Nazarene. A few years after that, they recognized that the word rule had changed meanings. And so they changed the name of the general and special rules to the covenant of Christian character and the covenant of Christian conduct. You can breathe a sigh of relief now. That lets you off the hook. No more rules and regulations, right? I'll explain in a moment what what that means. They, They still sound to an awful lot of people like rules and regulations. They include all of the biblical do's and don'ts. They include the stuff that's in the New Testament vice and virtue lists. They give us Nazarenes guidance on everything from entertainment to gambling to dancing to drinking, smoking, and illicit drugs, to abortion, to stem cell research, to euthanasia, to human sexuality, to marriage, to pornography, to tithing and stewardship, and everything else in between. But they're given to us as warning signs. They're given to us to say, you've been saved by grace, through faith, and you're about to embark on a journey that's going to take you all over the country and all over the world, and here's some warning signs. Here's some things that have the potential of destroying your life and your soul. They have the potential of making you less and less human if you indulge in these kind of things. They're warning signs provided to help us love one another. The word covenant is used because covenant draws people together in a relationship, and these things, these warning signs that are given to us are things that that could be problematic for other people, even though they're not problematic for us. But because I love other people, I might give this more thought than I ordinarily would have. 
They explain this in one sentence there in the manual of the Church of the Nazarene. They say the Church of the Nazarene believes that this new and holy way of life involves practices to be avoided and redemptive acts of love to be accomplished, get this, for the souls, minds, and bodies of our neighbors. Why do I abstain from certain things? It's not just because God told me not to do this stuff. It's because I'm concerned about the souls, the minds, and the bodies of my neighbors, my friends. Why am I filled with the Holy Spirit of God? It isn't just to make me a paragon of virtue. Or is it to guide me into the fullness and the divine of the d- divine nature so I can love others as God has loved me? Yes, that's what it's for. That's what the filling with the Holy Spirit is for. And these aren't rules that I obey to make myself look good. These are things that help me become a better tool in God's hands to love and care for others. Now, let me get very personal There's been a new virtue list that's been added to the pantheon of virtue lists in the last year and a half. It involves three things. Wash your hands, social distance, and wear a mask. And these things are not a matter of rules and regulations. These things are not a battle of wills. This is not about the government impinging on my rights. This is about me being able to love and care for others. Paul's list of the acts of the flesh or the which which is talking about the unbridled self-indulgence that we are prone to reduces us to becoming subhuman. If we indulge every every temptation, every pleasure that we want to, the end result is that we become less than what God created us to be, right? On the other hand, if we pursue, work on, add to our faith with the list of the fruit of the Spirit or the things that Peter writes in in that that ladder of virtue, we will become more of what God created us to be. And the reason we want to become more of what God created us to be is not just so we can stand on a pedestal someplace, but it's because we want to be the best possible servant to glorify God, to build the kingdom of God, to love other people. That's our motivation. Why do I not drink alcohol? Because I love neighbors who may not be able to drink alcohol without becoming drunk. I don't want to be a part of a stumbling block that would be a a, a problem for other people. That's why I don't drink alcohol. Go through that list in the covenant of Christian character and the covenant of Christian conduct I'm not doing those things because it's just good for me. I'm doing those things because it's good and helpful for other people. 
And yes, I have a right to do those things. And yes, some of those things, can't, you really can't build a, a case against them by looking at Scripture. The Scripture says don't get drunk. It doesn't say anything about not drinking. But, you know, we live in a culture that is given to drunkenness. We live in a culture that drinks to excess. And I don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody else because I love other people. And so that's a choice that I have made. God's work begins with his loving us. And then that work digs deep down into our soul and changes us so that we can continue his loving work in the lives of other people. That's what self-control about. That is what love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is all about loving other people into the kingdom of God. Let's bow our heads together and spend a few moments listening to the Holy Spirit. I want to pose a few questions. I'd like you to listen to see what the Holy Spirit says. First, where is God's sanctifying work? Where is his sanctifying grace at work in my life? Where is God making you holier? Where is God nudging you in his direction? Where do you hear God's voice speaking to you about the example that you set? Listen for the Holy Spirit for a moment. Another question, what in my life is not under God's control? Where do you feel like your appetites are out of control? Where do you feel like your indulgence is out of control? And finally, who is God directing me to love? Who is the person in my life? The person whose path keeps crossing my path. The person that God wants to love through me. Father, we are faced every single day with the temptation for self-indulgence, for insisting on my rights. Lord, we are faced every day with opportunities to be a servant to others. Father, we are faced every day with invitations from your Holy Spirit to follow you deeper. We're faced every single day with temptations to drift away and go our own direction. 
we thank you for the grace that brought us into your family initially. We thank you for the grace that forgave us every sin we've ever committed. We thank you for the grace that's at work making us into the image of God. We thank you for the grace at various points and places on our journey when you have taken us deeper, where you have exposed things that needed to be exposed. Father, we thank you for the tender, loving care of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the power that makes us clean on the inside and the outside. Father, I pray that this week we would recognize why you've done that work in us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to recognize the opportunities that we have to serve other people, to love other people, to help other people find you and to find your path. Father, we thank you for the opportunities we will have this week to encourage the faith of those who are discouraged in a hospital room with cancer. Father, we thank you for loving us and we thank you for making us the kind of people who can love others. Pray that you would use us effectively and productively this week in your kingdom. And we thank you for filling us with the Holy Spirit, bringing the fruit of the Spirit to life in us. In Christ's name we pray and all of God's children say, Amen.